What's going on, Dolphins fans? And welcome to another episode of Locked on Dolphins. Today is Wednesday, January 26, 2022. And there's another head coaching vacancy across the NFL, the New Orleans Saints, with Sean Payton stepping down from his post after 16 seasons as the head man in New Orleans. Why is this relevant to the Dolphins? No, it's not because we're going to be exploring whether or not he's going to be the next head coach of the Miami Dolphins, but rather with this many vacancies, wanted to take the opportunity to explore where the Dolphins stack up and how the Dolphins stack up to the competition. That today on Locked on Dolphins. You are Locked on Dolphins, your daily Miami Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team every day. What's going on, Dolphins fans? Your host here on Locked On Dolphins, Kyle Krabs, director of scouting at thedraftnetwork.com, lifelong Miami Dolphins fan. Want to thank you guys for making Locked On Dolphins your first Miami Dolphins listen of the day. Today's episode is brought to you by onlinegambling.com, the place for all the latest gambling news and tips throughout the playoffs. Visit onlinegambling.com slash NFL to get the edge over the competition throughout this year's postseason. Sean Payton uh, was announced yesterday stepping down from the New Orleans Saints. And of course, the immediate knee-jerk reaction from a lot of Dolphins fans is, go get that man and make that man your next head coach. But it sounds as though Sean Payton is interested in transitioning uh, at least for the time being, for the short term, uh, away from coaching, getting a recharge. This is a name to watch down the road, depending on how this Dolphins hire goes here and now. Uh, of course, in a perfect world, you wouldn't have to worry about it because the coach that you bring in takes care of business the way that you would like to think is capable and uh, is going to be here for a while. Of course, that hasn't been the case. Uh, we had Joe Philbin for three and a quarter years, and then we had. Adam Gase for three years. And then we had Brian Flores for three years. And now we are on to the next head coach. And a lot of uh, skepticism, I think, is probably an appropriate word to use. Uh, frustration regarding the Dolphins being in this spot and seeing these other vacancies. And uh, it, it, whether it's Brian Dable or Mike McDaniel, um, the ability of the Dolphins to attract the coaching candidate that they want out on this market. Never mind the fact that, well, for my personal list, it, for all we appear to know, they have not shown any interest in the likes of Doug Peterson and Jim Caldwell, which would have been two of the top names on my personal list to go out and explore. Um, but Miami being in the rat race with nine head coaching vacancies across the NFL. So effectively one third of the entire league is looking for a new head coach right now, not settled. All-star circuit starts on Saturday from a scouting perspective. And one thing that really helps you from a scouting perspective is knowing what you're scouting for. So uh, yeah, it's, it's not ideal for Miami to be in the rat race in the here and now. Uh, but I do think it is worth exploring where Miami stands in the rat race in the here and now. So what I have done is I have pieced together a number of different sets of criteria. I'm looking at salary cap space for 2022, Tankathon's draft power rankings, which is effectively the trade value chart value 
of all of each of the teams in this year's upcoming draft, their draft picks. So how much value they have in the draft class. Uh, a three-year snapshot of success via win percentage. You know, are you a winning program or not as of late? Offensive roster talent, defensive roster talent, ownership. And, of course, the quarterback position has to be its own separate thing. And the way this one was tackled was, uh, do you have a better or worse or pushed quarterback situation than the Miami Dolphins? And um, they all got points. We, we listed from salary cap. Most to least, most gets nine points out of a possible nine. The lowest available cap space, which, spoiler alert, is now the Saints with negative 71.5 million, according to Spot Track, um, is going to get one point. And we did that across all of these criteria that's been outlined and explained. And then we add them up. The only one that's not ranked on a scale of nine to one is the quarterback room. And that is, I put the Dolphins at a five. And if you have a better quarterback situation than the Dolphins, you get 10 points. If you have a definitively worse quarterback situation than the Dolphins, you get one point. If you are in the same bucket, same tier of how I personally, because there is some objectivity here and there's some subjectivity here uh how i objectively or i guess technically subjectively rank and tier your quarterback situation if i perceive it to be in the same gray regardless of what shade of gray but an area of gray you also get five points at quarterback there are two teams that had definitively better quarterback situations than the dolphins two teams that have definitively worse quarterback situations than the dolphins Everybody else pulled five points. So I thought this was a fun exercise to kind of look at where the Dolphins stack up. So with that in mind, let's start with the salary cap space. The Miami Dolphins, across all nine vacancies in the NFL for salary cap space, are number one amongst coaching vacancies, $67.5 million dollars. According to Spot Track, I think that's an important distinguishment to make. These numbers are fluid. They're going to continue to change. Uh, but the Dolphins, number one, 61 and a half million. They get nine points. You're in first place <laughs> through the first set of criteria. So congratulations to the Dolphins on that front. Number two, Jacksonville Jaguars, 61 and a half million dollars in cap space. They get eight points. The Denver Broncos are third, but there's a big drop-off here. You're down to $44.5 million. So Miami and Jacksonville, from a spending power perspective, come March, are in a league of their own for all the teams uh, that have available spending power. Number three, the Chicago Bears, with $34.5 million. So they get six points. The Las Vegas Raiders, $27.5 million. The Houston Texans, $23.5 million. And now there is another very dramatic drop. The Giants, the Vikings, and the Saints, all currently in the red against the salary cap for 2022. The Giants, negative $5.7 million. Should be relatively easy to get out of that hole. The Minnesota Vikings, negative $12.2 million. Are you going to move on from Kirk Cousins? Because if you do, 
go ahead, wipe your hands. You guys are now not only in the green, you're challenging the Texans. And then the New Orleans Saints at negative $71.5 million. There's a lot of work cut out for, for this group. Going to have to continue to restructure some contracts. Um, but that makes the flexibility long-term very, very challenging for the Saints. You know, you as a coach coming in, you need to be wary that, you know, year one and year two, you may be treading water with the talent that existed on the roster because your ability to add more assets is going to be pretty severely limited because if you restructure more contracts this offseason, eventually that guaranteed money is going to come back and bite you. And they've been doing this for two years now. So 2023 offseason, you're effectively going to be locked in. You're not going to have any money to play with. You're going to have to eat it that year because that's how they've chose to do this. So that is a, a, a variable with the Saints job that I would be mindful of and is the inverse of what is this, the case in Miami. And this is one of the appeals of the way Chris Greer has attacked building the team and, and structuring contracts. Um, you have all the flexibility in the world versus the Saints. If you're a coach, you're coming in the first two years, it's going to be really hard for you to stack talent on top of talent because you got to keep the guys you got because you're financially committed to it. And then by year three, if you don't make a big jump, what's to say ownership doesn't get short-tempered with you and you're out on your butt? So that's how they stack up in salary cap space. What about draft capital? This is a, a one-year snapshot. I think that is important to mention because Miami, they're, one of their big legs up is having the extra draft, draft pick in 2023. That is not accounted for at this point in time. It's an asterisk that we can make. It's an, an acknowledgement that we can mention to, to make sure and guarantee we understand that there are added dynamics and this is not a hard and fast system that's foolproof and does not still require context. And I think that's an important acknowledgement to make as well. But the New York Giants with two top 10 picks, two top eight picks, two top seven picks. Number one in draft capital. So they're making up for being negative 5.7 million and third worst of, of the job openings. Um, because they are number one in, in cap power. They get a lot at their disposal. Jacksonville Jaguars are two. Uh, for what it's worth, the number one overall pick is worth 3,000 points by itself. The Jaguars have 4,273 points. Giants are just ahead of them by about 60 points. That's the seat the Dolphins sat in the last two years. Really high up in draft cap. Houston Texans are third with upward mobility, if we're being honest. Uh, 3,248 points, according to the draft value chart, uh, some of all of their draft picks. And if they end up trading Deshaun Watson, they're going to shoot up to number one in this spot. Denver Broncos, fourth, 2,600. Uh, you see a big drop-off. So obviously the top two, just like in salary cap space, the top two in draft capital were in a tier of their own with the Giants and Jaguars. Uh, Texans ability to climb into that group, uh, the Broncos, 2,600 points. You've got the Vikings, 1,900 points, the Saints, 1,500 points, the Raiders, 1,400 points, the Dolphins, 1,300 points. Uh, so very close. And a third round pick is worth like a hundred points. So, I mean, the, the value of them and the Saints in the middle of the pack is like a top 100 pick. It, it's not dramatic. But again, it is worth mentioning because the Dolphins are going to come away from this category with two points out of a possible nine. 
And then the Bears, because they traded their first-round pick this year to go get Justin Fields, 827 points. They're in dead last. So it's, it's a tale of two very dramatic outcomes. Uh, the Jaguars are the team that, through these first two categories, are smelling like a rose. They were second place in both of them. Now, we got to account for win percentage. We got to account for talent on the roster. We got to account for the quarterback position. We got to account for ownership. There's some variables, and these Jaguars are going to come tumbling down pretty darn quick. I can tell you that. Uh, but at least through this point in time, Miami, very, very strong in free agency relative to the other vacancies and uh, not so hot. Uh, they're, they're in the bottom of a very congested group of teams in the middle uh, for draft capital. We know we uh, mentioned our friends at OnlineGambling.com already, but you know we're all looking for an edge. I want to thank OnlineGambling.com for sponsoring today's podcast. If you don't know already, OnlineGambling.com is a website dedicated to giving betters the edge. Throughout the playoffs, they're providing you with the best NFL tips, news, and more to help make your bets as informed as ever. At the beginning of the playoffs, the experts at OnlineGambling.com asked all of us on Locked On Network to show off our prediction skills and pick Super Bowl outcomes. Well, I picked the Packers. And uh, I should have done a little bit more digging over at OnlineGambling.com. Uh, there were probably some context clues uh, that I missed in terms of Aaron Rodgers and his performance uh, in the playoffs in Green Bay, not being able to stop the run to save their life uh, and San Francisco's ability to run the ball. So egg on my face. I'm going to have to recalibrate here. And I think I'm shifting over to the Rams. What about you? Why don't you head over to onlinegambling.com and uh, get some tips and tricks for yourself. And then let me know what you are deciding for the Super Bowl outcome. Make sure you visit onlinegambling.com slash NFL for all the latest gambling news, tips, and odds to give you the edge throughout the playoffs. Remember, onlinegambling.com slash NFL to make the most of this year's playoffs. Snapshot number three on how the Dolphins stack up to the rest of the league. A look at three-year win percentage and of course this is important because the three-year win percentage is is the window in which the dolphins started their own active rebuild went five and eleven and then ran off consecutive winning seasons i can tell you the dolphins come in on fourth place on this list i can also tell you that they were one game out of being tied for second place of all the vacancies that exist the new orleans saints far and away the most successful three-year snapshot as a franchise in the NFL, 34 and 15 in the regular season over the last three seasons. That's good for nine points. The Vikings and Raiders tied 25 and 24. They each get seven and a half. The Miami Dolphins one game behind them at 24 and 25. And of course, if you looked at a two-year snapshot, Miami is better than both of those teams. It's worth mentioning. They get six points for their effort, nonetheless. Uh, the Chicago Bears, 22 and 27, get five points. And now you have your drop-off. None of the remaining four teams have more than 19 wins over the last three seasons, which is kind of crazy to me because I look at the Denver Broncos and their roster, and it's really good. But Vic Fangio has under, underperformed for three consecutive seasons, and that's why he's out. Uh, they are 19 and 30 over the last three seasons. 
the Houston Texans 18 and 31. And of course that includes a 10 win season in 2019. So they're three year snaps, two year snapshots, even more dire than that. They have eight wins over the last two years. Uh, the New York Giants 14 and 35 and the Jacksonville Jaguars at 10 and 39. And I think this is one of those kind of pivot points where I think it's, it's important for me to, to vocalize how we got to do this show idea because there is a lot of skepticism around the Dolphins and I get it. Uh, but the Dolphins are, if we're going to be honest, they have been traditionally a middle of the pack team. And for all of the imperfections and flaws and miscalculations and embarrassment that you as a fan feel at different junctures throughout the course of being a fan of this team, I promise you there are worse frogs you could be kissing as a fan in the NFL as evidenced by this three-year snapshot by, by itself. And that's kind of embodied a lot of what Miami has been stuck in for the last 10 years. Out of these vacancies, they are one win out of tied for second place. I think that's, first of all, it helps their rank in these standings as we get ready to calculate the final scores here, which we will be getting into in just a minute. Do you or do you not have a better quarterback situation than the Miami Dolphins. Tua Tungvalo projected as a starting quarterback. Say what you will about his limitations. Say what you will uh, about his lack of development. Him, the isolating him as a variable within the Dolphins organization. He's gotten fortunate with uh, some decision-making and some inaccurate throws. But generally speaking, his ball security is dramatically better than Daniel Jones of the New York Giants, who has an extra year, and we have much more clarity on he's not the guy. Because that the Giants got one point. Remember, this is 10 to 1. If you're definitively better than Miami, you get 10 points. If you're definitively worse than Miami, you get one point. I gave the New York Giants, and this is a subjective call by me, one point. I would not prefer the New York Giants quarterback room over Tua Tagovailoa and the Miami Dolphins. The New Orleans Saints, Jameis Winston's a starting quarterback, but Jameis Winston is not under contract, which leaves Taysom Hill and Trevor Simeon and Ian Book. That is a definitively worse quarterback room than the Miami Dolphins. They get one point. Miami gets a five. No, they are the baseline. Right. And I look at four other openings and I give them four points or five points, put them in the same tier as Miami, Justin Fields, the Chicago Bears, uh, Drew Locke slash Teddy Bridgewater, the Denver Broncos, the Houston Texans and the Jacksonville Jaguars. So the theme here is a lot of young players. Uh, Justin Fields is more physically gifted than Tua. He's a better athlete. He's got a stronger arm. But that's not the only component into going to play the position. And Justin Fields was swimming in it this year. But I'm not ready to write him off, so I gave him five points. I put him in that same shades of gray, various shades of gray. The Denver Broncos. I think Teddy Bridgewater is a player who has his own limitations as a starting quarterback in the NFL. You know what you're going to get. You're not going to get a lot of turnovers. You're not going to get a lot of 
uh, explosive plays and dynamic plays, and he's not going to put the team on his back. That is a shade of gray that I can respect enough to say you can play with him as a starting quarterback and you can win a fair amount of games in the NFL. And if I just boiled down what I feel about Tua right now to one simplistic line, he's a viable starting quarterback in the NFL and you can win plenty of games with him in the NFL, despite limitations. It's a different shade of gray. There's different concerns, different potential ceilings as players. We have a bigger, bigger body of work for Teddy. We kind of know exactly what he is a little better. But that, to me, goes in the same tier. The Houston Texans, we all saw the Davis Mills stat line and efficiencies, and he came out way parallel to Tua Tungvalo. So, okay, that's fine. And Davis Mills is a little bit more of a prototypical passer, pocket passer. He's a good athlete. I'll give him that for sure. And he got a chance to work with Pep Hamilton this year, who did a great job with him. Maybe that's your, maybe that's your long-term answer. I'm not accounting Deshaun Watson in this factor for the Houston Texans. If I were, they'd be getting 10 points. But for all appearances sake, Deshaun Watson will not be playing for the Houston Texans again, despite the fact that he is under contract. So he's not included in this variable for me. Five points. And Jacksonville, Trevor Lawrence uh, did not play well. Everything we said about Trevor, uh, about Justin Fields is apply- applicable to, to Trevor Lawrence. But his coaching situation was arguably even worse. <laughs> Urban Meyer, five points. Not ready to, to close the book on any of the rookies. Just like I'm not ready to close the book definitively on two of them. And Teddy, you know, that's probably the least enviable spot to be in right now because you know what that guy is and you know it's a shade of gray. The Raiders and the Vikings got 10 points in this category. Kirk Cousins is a better starting quarterback right now than Tua Tungvaloa. Derek Carr is a better starting quarterback in the NFL right now than Tua Tungvaloa. Derek Carr took six years to get there and develop. Kirk Cousins has his... uh, He's a scheme-specific starter. And when we talk about Tua, you know, that, that's the point that ends up coming up. I try to make and kind of make sure I always sneak in here when I'm talking about Tua. 90% of the starting quarterbacks in the NFL are scheme-specific, have limitations. Kirk Cousins is among them. But Kirk's body of work and the production that he's had, and I understand he's throwing a really good wide receivers in Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen, and he's got Dalvin Cook. I get it. The supporting cast is better. But you can't look at the two resumes, hold them up against each other, and say Tua Tungvalo is definitively better than Kirk Cousins. Now, if you want to project them forward because of Kirk's age versus Tua's age and Tua's potential continued growth development, that's a different conversation, and that's not a conversation we're going to get into today. But if I'm just assigning points subjectively, the Vikings get 10 points. So Vikings and Raiders decidedly have an advantage with the quarterback position Versus the rest of the group, the Saints and the Giants have a decided disadvantage. Good thing the Giants have two top seven picks if they want to use it there. Offensive talent, defensive talent, and ownership. Before we uh, summarize everything. Offensive talent does not include the quarterback position. The quarterback position for me was too important to include amongst everything else. You will be happy to know that despite the fact that Miami has uh, some woeful warts on the offensive side of the ball. I don't think they're the worst. I don't think they're remotely close to the worst. I will say the Denver Broncos, aside of the quarterback, are the best. Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, Noah Fant, 
Uh, Melvin Gordon's an, an expiring contract, but you have Javante Williams, uh, Tim Patrick, the offensive line with Garrett Bowles, um, Quinn Miners. They, they got some really good offensive talent. I would put the Vikings at number two. We mentioned the skill group. And they've, they've been very scheme specific in what they've gone after an offensive lineman, but it works for them. And I think that's, if they end up changing schemes, they may dip a little bit here. Because uh, if they want to transition to more of a traditional gap power vertical run game instead of horizontal run game, which would, in my opinion, be dumb. But if they decided to do that, they, may not, they might have some pieces that don't fit and it could hurt them. These are all subjective for me, knowing and understanding these rosters and being responsible for knowing them, thanks to my work over at thedraftnetwork.com. I put the Saints in third. Uh, they're top-heavy. They don't have a lot of receiving threats outside of Michael Thomas, who didn't play this year. Uh, so, but they're top-heavy. But Alvin Kamara is an elite player. Michael Thomas is an elite player. Ryan Ramchek is an elite player. McCoy, Ruiz, solid interior offensive lineman. Andrus Pete, up and down. Struggling with durability. Um, we cannot mention Teron Armstead. He's an expiring contract. They get a young tight end room. I think has plenty of potential. Saints, very good offensive core. Outside of quarterback, they need more wide receivers, though. I'll put the Raiders in fourth. You look at what their nucleus is and Darren Waller. And they got some young receivers. Hunter Renfro, very productive wide receiver. Uh, Zay Jones is an expiring contract, but they also have uh, Brian Edwards as a, a height, weight, speed guy for them. Uh, you look at the offensive line, it's, it's in need of continued overhaul and tinkering. Uh, you have Josh Jacobs, of course. Even Hunter Moreau, the second tight end there, is really good for what he is as a blocker and a complimentary receiver. And this is where it gets interesting, guys, because I put the Dolphins fifth. Their competition is the Bears, the Giants, the Jaguars, and the Texans. You can't look at any of these offensive depth charts and tell me the Dolphins don't have more working for them than that. I understand Mike Gusecki's an expiring contract, but you got Jalen Waddell. You got Devontae Parker when he's healthy. You got two quality starting offensive linemen, in my opinion. I would say the Jaguars probably have better starting offensive line, but I believe Norwell and Cam Robinson are both expiring contracts. So that hurts you. Uh, they've got a bunch of complementary pieces. They just don't have centerpieces. You need two centerpiece offensive linemen. You need a centerpiece in the backfield. You need to figure out what you're doing in the tight end. Room. But like, look at the bears who are next on my list. Their offensive line is worse than Miami's from a talent perspective, not from an execution perspective, which is important to point out. But from a talent perspective, and James Daniels is an expiring contract for them on that offensive line. They're out here starting Arlington Hambright and Larry Borum at offensive tackle this season. The New York Giants. Sure, congrats. You went out and paid Kenny Galladay $18 million a year. He was worse signing than Will Fuller because you signed him to three years and you gave him almost twice as much money. Evan Ingram's an expiring contract. Saquon Barkley is in the mud. The offensive line, again, from an execution perspective, is just as bad as Miami. Andrew Thomas took a step forward, and that's great. But you don't have a center. You don't have guards. Will Hernandez regressed dramatically. 
and your rookie wide receiver is hurt. You'd have a hard time selling me on the Giants being better. Jacksonville, we already mentioned. Uh, the wide receivers need to get dramatically better. They don't have any production from the tight end room in the passing game. They've got James Robinson. Okay. Your two best offensive linemen are expiring contracts. That's a tough sell to be a better group than the Dolphins. And then the Texans, who are completely gutted by design, but nevertheless completely gutted. Miami's in fifth. They're in the they're middle of the pack. Four teams better, four teams worse. Again, a lot worse frogs you could be kissing. That's why I wanted to do this exercise because it was you stack it up and it's like, oh my goodness gracious, your eyes kind of get big. Listen up, Dolphins fans. Credible app. Everyone who buys gas needs to know about Get Upside. Listeners are earning cash back for every gallon of gas every time they fill up. You can download the free Get Upside app in the App Store or Google Play right now. Use promo code TOUCHDOWN for 25 cents per gallon or more on your first fill up cash back. Don't pay full price at the pump. Get cash back using Get Upside. Just download the app for free and use promo code TOUCHDOWN for 25 cents per gallon or more on your first tank. Some people who drive a lot are making as much as two to $300 a year in cash back. There's no catch. The cash gets added right to your account. You can cash out anytime to your bank account, PayPal, or an e-gift card such as Amazon or other brands. Just download the free Get Upside app and use promo code TOUCHDOWN to get 25 cents per gallon or more cash back. And when you save that money, make sure you visit our friends over at Built.com. Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. These things are high in protein, high in fiber, low in calories, low in sugar, 100% chocolate in all their bars. They're absolutely positively delicious. And best of all, they're good for you. 130 calories per bar, 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, up to 17 grams of protein, 100% chocolate in all their bars. What's not to like? Visit built.com, use promo code LOCK15 and save 15% off your next order. That's built.com, promo code LOCK15 to save 15% off your next order. Next order of business, we got two more, defensive talent and ownership. And this is good news for the Dolphins because the Dolphins have a lot of talent on the defensive side of the ball. Ownership, not so much, but we'll get to the end of that in a minute. The Denver Broncos have the best top to bottom group of defensive talent. In my opinion, they're very sturdy on all three levels. They got elite playmakers on all three levels. Um, I, I love what Patrick Sertain showed this year. Justin Simmons is the best free safety in football for my money. Bradley Chubb. Very good. Uh, they got a lot of unheralded guys on the defensive line that are successful rushing the passer. Uh, and so their depth edges out the new Orleans saints who are number two on the defensive talent ranks for me personally uh, they got elite players Marshawn Lattimore Cameron Jordan Demario Davis Chauncey Gardner Johnson Marcus Williams like they've got a lot of high level contributing starters now the rest of the group is more complimentary uh, their CB2 is complimentary player uh, David Ayumena I think in a lot of other systems is not as impactful as he is playing in between Marcus Davenport and uh, Cameron Jordan Pete Werner, their third-round linebacker, is looking good, but it's, the, it's a little early for the book to call that one a big win. Uh, but I, I look at, again, the competition the rest of the way is the Dolphins, Raiders, Bears, Vikings, Jaguars, Giants, Texans. Saints at number two, Dolphins at number three. We've gone through the roster assessment. You've got multiple quality starters on the defensive line. If you stay in the odd front defense, Sealer should be considered a plus starter. Wilkins should be considered a plus starter. Raekwon Davis should be considered a plus nose tackle. Emmanuel Aquas should be considered a plus pass rusher. 
I know he's an expiring contract. And if you want to disqualify him, that's fine. You got Jalen Phillips. Then you got Jerome Baker. Then you got Byron Jones and you got Xavier Howard. Oh, and you got Javon Holland. Like, they got a lot of spots taken care of on the defensive side of the ball. I put them in third place. They don't have as many elite talents as those other two spots. Uh, but they've got very, very good talent, a very good defensive nucleus. I put the Raiders at six. That pass rush from Max Crosby is, is hard to ignore. And Nate Hobbs, I know he's been in trouble off the field, a rookie for them this year. Uh, he's been a very successful player. And uh, Trevon Mooring, the free safety, uh, who's a rookie this year as well. Very, very good for them. Uh, it seems like they clicked in that defensive system this year. The Chicago Bears, I have five. I know they had uh, some injury issues. Uh, there's some durability stuff. I know Eddie Jackson, the free safety progressed and uh, you know, he's, he's not playing up to the standard of being an uh, all pro player. Like he was once upon a time, um, but Akeem Hicks, Eddie Goldman, when he's healthy, um, they they've got some pieces to work with. The Vikings really were a defense that took a step back. I believe they were in the bottom six in scoring defense this year. The uh, Neil Hunter, Missing time, Uh, obviously Everson Griffin uh, dealing with some mental health issues, taking some time away from the game. We hope the best for him, Uh, but they've invested a lot in like the cornerback room and don't have a lot to show for it. Their safeties are getting older. Harrison Smith's a really good player, but he's starting to slow down physically. Anthony Barr, Eric Kendricks, um, the production wasn't there this year to meet some of that talent. So they're coming in at fourth. Jaguars at three, Giants at two, Texans at one. Again, Texans gutted intentionally. Jaguars at least have Josh Allen. They got a real legit elite talent. Which brings us to ownership. I look at ownership groups and uh, I'll just read off how I have them ranked. And then we'll talk about why we have them ranked the way we have them ranked. I have the Saints in first place. Obviously, Sean Payton, Super Bowl pedigree with this organization. Uh, The Vikings, eight points. The Broncos, seven points. And I know this is a a potential, uh, the Boland family may be selling the Broncos. So this may change dramatically here sooner rather than later. Uh, Meanwhile, you have the Raiders sixth, the Dolphins fifth, the Bears fourth, the Giants third, the Jaguars second, and the Texans in last, one point. Uh, Saints, nine points. A lot of stability within that organization. Well-oiled machine. They've been a consistent winner for a long time. I don't think that should be overlooked. The Vikings haven't had the same success from a championship pedigree perspective over the last 20 years. Um, But what the Vikings have had is a lot of stability. Mike Zimmer and Rick Spielman had a lot of time there. And it paid dividends because they had a really good nucleus for a strong stretch of time. The Denver Broncos... um, the Boland family has been very well respected. You know, they, they are not knee jerk with their reactions. You know, they are in the midst of, I believe five consecutive losing seasons. Uh, the Broncos have never experienced anything like this in the history of the franchise. They are at an all time low at this point in time, but historically they've been a very well run organization. The Raiders, Mark Davis. Uh, honestly, it was close for me between Steven Ross and Mark Davis. Um, but I, I look at the Bears, Giants, Jaguars, and Texans, and I can't in good conscience put Stephen Ross, despite all of the, the exceptions that a lot of Dolphins fans have with, with Stephen Ross, below any of them. 
You know, we, we can sit here and critique Stephen Ross and the, the toxic cycle of mediocrity and the in-house fighting and, and the politics that have kind of engulfed the Dolphins at times over the last 10, 12 years. But the Chicago Bears, I mean, the McCaskey family at this point in time, Virginia is like 100 years old. The New York Giants, their last three head coaching hires have been two years and done apiece. They've had three separate hires. This is going to be their fourth hire in six years for a head coach going into year seven. The Jaguars, I mean, they were being talked about as potentially moving the team to London. And then the Houston Texans, their ownership group is well-documented with what's going on with Jack Easterby. So uh, I put the Dolphins at five because it was, I, I looked at the ownership group and maybe if you wanted to sit here and argue that the Bears should be over them, you could. Uh, but this was about as, as low as I felt comfortable putting Stephen Ross because, again, the dynamics of other teams across the league, we might not see consistently because we're Dolphins fans and we're focused on the Dolphins, but they're bad. There, there are some very bad ownership situations across the league. And I think that's evidenced by the fact that the Bears, or, or excuse me, the uh, Giants have won 14 games over the last three years. The Jaguars have won 10 games over the last three years. And the Texans, despite a 10-win season in here, have won eight games over the last three years. Woefully bad. So where does that leave us? When it's all said and done, how do we add this up? Well, when you filter all of these totals across all of these variables and you sort them, we're going to go from the bottom. The Houston Texans are the worst available job opening. According to the points, again, if I were to put context on this, I would say, well, they're going to have a bunch more draft capital. They got through their um, hard reset year. No, at least it's, it's going to turn a corner for them. But they're so talent depleted right now, it's a hard hire to take on until you get those extra draft assets for whatever is going to happen with Deshaun Watson. Because if I put Deshaun Watson on the roster, suddenly the Texans are the third worst gig amidst everything else, but we're not counting Deshaun Watson. And if they got a bunch of extra draft capital, you know, they're, they're currently seventh. They might get an extra two points. It would be enough to, to put them in position to challenge the giants alone, but they, they just got whoever's taking that job. No, like year three is a big year for you because the next two years are going to be pretty slim. You don't have a ton of cap space and you're very talent depleted. The Giants came in eighth amongst the openings. I know they play in the New York market, and it's all glitz and glamour and blah, blah, blah. But they didn't really score well in anything other than draft capital. Uh, their salary cap space is not good. Their three-year win total is the second worst out of all the teams that we're looking at. Uh, they're one of the two teams that I would classify as having a worse quarterback situation than what the uh, Miami Dolphins do definitively. I put them third on offensive talent, second on defensive talent, and third in ownership group because they can't commit to a coach because they continue to make terrible coaching hires. And they have no conviction to stay with it. So that's, the, that's eighth place. Jacksonville is seventh. 
you've at least got a lot of salary cap space. You got a lot of draft capital. You're the least successful program out of all these teams, but you do have Trevor Lawrence and that's something to work with. And you got a couple of elite players on the defensive side of the ball. Okay. You can work with that. The Chicago bears uh, came in in sixth place out of these nine teams. Uh, Their big standout plus qualities being salary cap space, uh, a middle of the road win percentage over the last three years, relative to the other contenders, a optimistic shade of gray with the quarterback position with Justin Fields and a respectable amount of defensive talent. We have a tie between fifth and fourth place with the Miami Dolphins and the New Orleans Saints. And I think depending on what lens you choose to look at it through, you can justify putting either one on top. And again, this is not meant to be hard and fast. This is simply an exercise to look at and rank a bunch of different variables that are contributing factors to what decisions a coach is going to face and whether or not to come coach your team. New Orleans quarterback situation is pretty dire right now, and they don't have a lot of salary cap space, which is going to make it very restrictive for you for the next two years. But they have one of the most respected ownership groups in football, and they have high-level elite players on both sides of the football. They're a more talented team than the Dolphins, quarterback notwithstanding right now. And if Jameis Winston was on the roster, I'd probably have given him a five. And then New Orleans is suddenly in third place and not tied for fourth because they did jump the Raiders as well, who are in third place. Both of these teams got 39 points in this exercise. First place has 47. As I mentioned, the Raiders in third, the Vikings in second, and the Broncos in first. So in this exercise, Denver, 47 points. The Vikings, 44 and a half. The Raiders, 43 and a half. The Dolphins and Saints tied at 39 and a half. Big drop. Bears, 30 points. Jaguars, 29 points. Big drop. Giants, 23. Texans, 22. So if you're Miami, um, this is what you kind of have to know. And there's other variables that are at play here as well. And there's fit, personality, relationships, assistant coach staff, building from the team's perspective, looking at the candidates instead of just looking at the candidates, looking at the teams. Uh, There's a whole lot else that's going to go into this. And I think that's Shades of gray is an important thing for us to remember this offseason as well, because there are an awful lot of shades of gray in the NFL. And you look at coaches, you look at general managers, you look at teams. There's things everybody does well. Nobody does everything at an exceptional level. Nobody does everything at a great level. The best teams have several pillars that they know they do well. They attach their identity to those pillars and they put systems in place to supplement the things that they don't do as well. The New Orleans Saints are a great example. They know their pillars. They draft well in the middle rounds. They are routinely aggressive with their draft picks to go up and get players. And they manage the cap at a very high level because they've been able to manipulate it year over year over year. Well, at some point you are going to have to pay the piper. Sean Payton stepping aside, which is the catalyst of us having this episode today. Maybe now's the time to pay the piper. And if that's the case, the saints job isn't going to look overly glamorous for this hiring cycle. And that's why I put the dolphins in fourth instead of fifth, because they were tied with the same amount of points. So I think Miami, their next two years, they are better positioned if they get things right 
to contend over the next two years than the Saints. I think what's interesting is out of the names ahead of Miami in this exercise, the Broncos, Vikings, Raiders, and if you want to include the Saints, you can. Um, none of them appear to have a lot of overlap with the coaches that Miami has been affiliated with. Brian Dable, Mike McDaniel, and the Broncos looking at Nathaniel Hackett, the OC in Green Bay, uh, presumably with an eye towards trading for Aaron Rodgers. And if that does indeed happen, then the Broncos, they're going to be fun to watch. Not fun to play, but fun to watch. The Vikings, uh, team in a bit of transition, really need to overhaul the defense. Uh, they've been affiliated. I mean, they're a team that's totally in the dark right now. They're, they've left teams, they've left the league as in the dark as Miami has for what traction they're getting. And the Raiders, it appears as though there's some traction towards Josh McDaniels, the OC in New England, which please, please, I beg you, hire Josh McDaniels. Go ahead. Go ahead. And we'll see how that story ends. But uh, I hope you guys enjoyed kind of this snapshot of the Dolphins versus the other league-wide openings amongst head coaching vacancies. Uh, some kind of contextualized numbers to, to put and quantify where Miami stands. Again, not hard and fast, but a fun exercise for me. I hope it was a fun exercise for you. Make sure you keep it locked in right here on Locked on Dolphins. I'm Kyle Krabs. Thanks, as always, for listening. Talk to you guys again tomorrow. Fins up.